I ask you please stand with me as we uh, read the passage for this morning. Again, in my sermon, I'm going to be focusing on, on chapter 11, verses uh, 10 to 26, but I'm going to read um, all of, of Genesis um, chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. They said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower with which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language. And this is the only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose will now become be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the whole face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachshad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Arpachshad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpachshad had lived 30, 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And Arpachshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And Eber lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Reu. And Peleg lived after he fathered Reu 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sirig, sorry, uh, when Reu had lived 32 years, he fathered Sirig. And Reu lived after he fathered Sirig 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sirig had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Sirig lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Tira. And Nair lived after he fathered Tira 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Tira had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Tira. Tira fathered Abram, Nair, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Tira in the land of his kindred, Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of, of Nahor's wife, Milcah. The daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. When Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter in law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. When they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage of Scripture, this genealogy, Lord, a passage that, that all of us probably have read, but Lord, many of us have probably skimmed over. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see afresh who these people are, and Lord, more importantly, how they point to you 
and your faithful character. Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to see and to understand what, what these names would have meant for the original recipients and, Lord, what they mean by application to us. Lord, I pray that, that you would help us to see who you are and, Lord, that you would help us to respond in faith and obedience. We ask this in the name of Christ, the only Lord and Savior. Amen. The story of Babel is a sad one of the fruitlessness of human efforts and of the futile attempts of man apart from God. But as we've seen repeatedly in Genesis 1 to 11, God's grace prevails even over human sin. We've seen over the, the past two weeks that the previous Toledot, the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, from Genesis 10, uh, 10 1 to 11, 9, focused on, on the nations of the earth broadly. The nations there in chapter 10, the, the offspring of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, were representative of the whole world, of the nations of the world. And then we saw in Genesis 11, verses 1 to 9, that how the nations conspired together to rebel against God, to, to rebel against his word. And then in chapter 11, verses 10 and following, Genesis and, and the rest of, of the Old Testament, for, for that matter, zero in on one line, on the seed of blessing, the seed of the covenant. In this passage, we're in introduced to Abram or to Abraham as he is known by his covenant name, the father of the nation of Israel. And so Genesis 11 verse 10 begins another Toledot, the generations of Shem. This is a short Toledot, only 16 verses. It's a genealogy that runs from Shem to Abram. 11.27 is going to begin another Toledot, the, the generations of Terah, which is really, it's the longest Toledot in Genesis, continuing for 14 whole chapters. The generations of, of Terah focuses on the story of Abraham. But even here, even here in this, in this focus on the people of Israel, we're going to see that the storyline of the Bible progresses, that the Lord has really never taken his eyes off the nations. Ligon Duncan calls Abraham the towering figure of Old Testament history. It's really a, a fitting metaphor. Mankind tried to make a name for himself by building a tower. But God makes a name for himself by raising up Abraham and by giving him a great name. And so we're going to see that the blessing of Abraham's great name was not only and not primarily for himself, but for all of the families of the earth. For through him, they too will be blessed. Friends, God is faithful. He providentially rules over all of the events of history, over all of the nations. And again, not even the sinfulness of man can thwart his sovereign plan. So again, we have another genealogy before us this morning. And I trust you're starting to see the importance of, of biblical genealogies, not as something to be avoided, but as a powerful example of God's providential faithfulness. 
We've seen that again and again in these genealogies. And, and here as we track the line of Shem through to Abraham, we're going to see that yet again. In this genealogy, we're going to see names that we have seen earlier. We, we saw them before in the genealogy of Shem from, from chapter 10, and, and particularly in verses 21 to 31, where we saw a, a narrow um, version of the, of the genealogy of Shem only to five generations. But in chapter 10, as I just said, the focus there is not just on the genealogy of Shem, but on his brothers, also Ham and, and Japheth. But here, the focus is solely on the line of Shem, not that of his brothers. And this genealogy of Shem here is going to continue to 10 generations. And so this, this morning, as we consider this genealogy, we're, we're going to be considering three aspects of God's faithfulness that this genealogy reveals. God's faithfulness to his promises, God's faithfulness to his people, and God's, faith, God's faithfulness to all peoples. So first of all, God is faithful to his promises. This, this genealogy, again, is a, it's another, another linear genealogy. It, it follows a straight line from, from Shem to Abram. Shem to Arpachshad to Shila to Eber to Peleg to Reu to Sereg to Nahor to Tira to Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And this, this last generation, the sons of, of Tira, includes Abram and his brothers, Nahor and Haran. There's a parallel here between this genealogy that we see in, in chapter 11 with the genealogy that we saw earlier in chapter 5. And please turn with me, if you will, in your Bible to, to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5 is, is another linear genealogy. A linear, linear genealogy, again, fo focuses straight. It doesn't go across different, to, to different brothers. The focus is, is very linear, pointing in one singular direction. Who is the first person in this genealogy in chapter 5? Adam. And, and who is, is the last generation? Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Notice that, that every other son that's listed, is just, there's just one son. There's other sons and daughters, but only one is directly listed except for in the last generation, the generation of Noah. And so here we have these three sons listed. And we're getting a clue of something important here. Keep your finger there in Genesis 5 and, and flip back now to, to Genesis chapter 11. We see, again, the same pattern. Just, just one son mentioned at each generation. There's other sons and daughters, but just one in the line until we get to the last one. In verse 26, the three sons of Terah, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So just like Shem is going to figure prominently in the ensuing narrative and, and so is named first in, in Genesis chapter 5. Now we see at, the, at this line something important is happening here, but, but Abram is going to be singled out as the, as the important one of the sons of, of Noah. The other, the other sons are really only going to get pretty much a passing, a passing glance as, as we continue in, in, in next week. But again, like the pattern of Genesis 5, this one also follows the same pattern. A lived X number of years and then fathered B. 
A lived Y years after he had fathered B, fathering uns, other sons and daughters. We see that there again and again and again through these, these 10 generations, just as we saw in Genesis chapter 5. So again, it's, it's very similar to Genesis 5, but there is a key difference. There's a big difference. Look again at Genesis 5. What is the phrase that is repeated through almost all of those names? What is the phrase you see there again and again and again in, in chapter 5? And he died. And he died. Repeated there again and again and again, notably except for in the, in the case of, of Enoch, but, but again and again there, there's, there's an emphasis there of, 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 where, of, of what was happening and what was coming. But here when we get to Genesis chapter 11, that phrase is not there. Something, something different that, that's going on here. The phrase, and he died, is absent from this genealogy. Well, of course, it doesn't mean that the descendants of, of Shem didn't die. We, we know that death reigned from Adam to Moses, Romans 5.14, but, but Moses is being optimistic here of who's coming. Of who's coming. But before we get to that, we need to realize something. The fact that there are any genealogies at all, the, the fact that there are any names mentioned at all is evidence of, of God's faithfulness to his promises. Here I'm referring to, the, to Genesis 1.28, that God blessed the man and the woman and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It's a promise that, that humanity, that the first man and woman would have children after them. As you know, God warned Adam in Genesis 2.17, but of the fruit of the knowledge, uh, sorry, but the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for the, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Friends, God would have been perfectly just to wipe out humanity on the day that Adam and Eve sinned. He told them they, that they would die. They were under the curse because of their sin, but they didn't face the full effects of their sentence. You can even see that in Adam's naming of his wife, calling her Eve, because he was hopeful that, that God would be faithful. Because of the name Eve means, means mother of, of all living, Genesis 3.20. Fast forward now to Genesis 6. As man has increased on the face of the earth, so his sin. Verse five, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was very great in the earth so, so that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So God determined to send a global flood to wipe out every person from the face of the earth. Every person that is except for Noah and his wife and Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their wives. Out of all of the people on the face of the earth, only eight souls left alive. But even that, in, in all of that carnage, in all of that death, in all of that destruction, even that was an example of God's faithfulness to his promise. Again, God would have been perfectly just to kill everyone. But he didn't. He's faithful to his promises. After the flood in Genesis 9, 1 and 7, 
God makes a covenant with Noah and his sons, promising them that with the same promise from Genesis 1.28, telling them to be fruitful and multiply. And so the ensuing genealogy in Genesis 10 is the fulfillment of that promise. This genealogy here in Genesis 11 verses 1 to 9 is also the fulfillment, sorry, rather in, in 11, uh, 11, 10 to 26 is also the fulfillment of that promise. We're going to see the, the, we saw last week the sinfulness of man in, in Genesis 11, verses 1 to 9. God, God had promised to provide man with, with offspring. It was, it was a promise, but it was also a command. Yet the, 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 the uh, Shinar settlers, the Babylonian builders, had settled there in rebellion against God's command. And then they compounded their rebellion through an act of self-glorification and false worship, attempting to build a tower with its top to the heavens so that they would make a name for themselves. Again, God would have been perfectly just to wipe them from the face of the earth. But instead, he confused their language and scattered them over the face of the earth. So again, this genealogy here in chapter 11, verses 10 to 26, is again the fulfillment of God's promise. God is promising that there would be offspring for his, for, for, well, for people in general. And so having children, it's really one of the, the greatest blessings that, that we can enjoy in this life. Many of us here know, know the joy of bringing a child into the world. Jane and I were overjoyed as we looked at that, at that ultrasound on, on, on Monday to, to see our, our little daughter. It's a great joy to be able to bring children into the world. But the inability to have children is, is a challenging trial. And I know, I know many couples who, who walk through that, that trial. Those in ancient Israel keenly felt the joy of having children, but they also keenly felt the pain of childless, childlessness. In fact, for them, the, the challenge was compounded. Because under the, that covenant, having children was seen as being closely tied to the, to the covenant blessing. But having children it is not the only promise that we see being fulfilled in Genesis 11, verses 10 to 26. There's a far greater promise here. God had promised in Genesis 3.15 that, that after the fall, the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And so far, the fulfillment of that promise is, has seemed a little bit fuzzy, kind of, kind of, kind of out of focus. But now we're beginning to see the edges sharpening up. The, the picture is coming into view. Now the solution won't be clear for another, another 2,000 years, but, but with Abraham, we see the blessing coming even more clearly. We, we had seen the, the, the picture of the blessing in God's covenant with, with Adam. We've seen it with, in God's covenant with Noah. We'll see it even more clearly in his covenant with Abraham. Abraham is going to be a major link that leads to Jesus Christ, the last Adam who will defeat death's reign. So again, God would have been, been perfectly just to wipe out everybody, just, 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 to, just to be done with it, to be done with the, with the human race. 
When Jane was at, at Home Depot yesterday, she was, she was talking to the cashier about the smoke in, in hopes to, to be able to provide a bridge to the gospel. And she, they were talking about, about all the smoke. And, and, and she, she said to the, to the cashier, Lord, have mercy, as they're looking at, at all the different problems and floods and fires that are taking place around the world. And the cashier's response surprised Jane. The cashier said that the fact that we are still here is God's mercy. The, the fact that, that we haven't been wiped out is God's mercy. And, and so this woman recognized that. And, and, and Jane said that we need, that we need to pray for, for an Elijah to come. Somebody to, to point people um, back, back, to, back to, to the gospel, to, the, to Christ. And the woman said that, well, the Lord had mercy even uh, while they waited for those three years for, for Elijah to come to, to, and before the rain was, was sent. So this woman, it seems, if, if you go to Home Depot, she's a woman, she's got a purple streak in her hair. You might work with her, Chantal. I don't know if you, if you know who she is or your, your husband might work with her, but, but reach out with this woman and, and find out a little bit more about her faith. In this passage, we, we see God's promises being unfolded. This is a further, a further unfolding of the theme that we've seen throughout Genesis, that God is faithful to keep his promises, to deal with the curse of death through the seed of the woman. After the dismal picture that's presented by the flood and, and then in the more immediate context, the, the Tower of Babel incident with the confusion of language and the scattering of the nations, we're seeing yet again that despite human wickedness, despite human sin, God is faithful to his promises, that, that he is holding up both ends of the covenant of grace. And so this, this genealogy is meant to nurture the hope that God is going to keep his promise to preserve his people. And as you think about the context in which the people of Israel received the, this, this, the Pentateuch, they received this passage as they're about to enter into the promised land. And so as they're about to, to encounter the obstacles and temptations of the, the wicked nations who were dwelling there, they needed encouragement to God's faithfulness and to be faithful because of God's faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, God is faithful to you. You live in a wicked nation not too dissimilar to the, nation of, to the, the, the nations of Canaan. But God is faithful to you. So let's look then at how God is faithful to his people. Again, as you, as you go through this genealogy, it's, it's easy just to speed through these names that are presented here. Shem, Arpekshad, Shelah, Eber, Peleg, Reu, Sereg, Nahor, Tira, Abram, Nahor, Haran. We could just breeze through that without even hardly a thought. We're very familiar with, with Abram. We're about to get a whole lot more familiar with him as we continue into, into Genesis. But as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, the, the line of Shem and the, the most significant of the sons of Noah is placed last. He was identified as the, the father of the children of Eber, the ancestor of the Hebrews. The ancestor of the Hebrews. And the meaning of Shem's name, as we discussed earlier, it, it, this context is important, coming, coming right after the Tower of Babel. It's significant. The name Shem means name. 
The name Shem means name. His, his parents named him name. It was a kind of a, a prophetic naming. The, ba- the Babel builders sought to build a name for themselves apart from God. But now, the, the, but now Shem, we see, has received a name from God. The efforts of the Babel builders to, to make a name for themselves are now, are now prostrate in the dust. But with the establishment of the line of Shem, God will provide a name for his people. And that name will come through Abraham, who receives the promise of God in Genesis 12 too part of what is really one of the most beautiful and, and encouraging passages in the Old Testament. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Again, this is not a coincidence that the, the people in, in Babel tried to, to make a name for themselves, and here you, have, here you have Abram receiving a great name from God. But again, apart from, apart from those two names, apart from, from Shem and apart from, from Abram, we, we really know very little about these people. But they were real men who, who lived real lives. They had real joys. They had real trials. They were people like you and me, except for the fact that they, they lived a whole lot longer than you or I will live. And while we're talking about that, while we're talking about lifespans, what do you notice about the lifespans of these men who are listed here? Well, they still lived for hundreds of years, but the lifespans were much shorter than, than those of their pre-flood ancestors. Shem's lifespan is 600 years. That makes him kind of a transitional point between those who lived before the flood, whose, whose lifespan was an average of 858, and those who lived after the flood, who are listed here as lifespan average 300 Moses himself is going to say in Psalm 90 that the average lifespan in his time has become 70 or 80 years, very close to the average in our day. Moses says, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or by the reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Psalm 90 verses 9 and 10. And it seems like just yesterday, I was 20-something with my whole life ahead of me. But now 50 is looming large in my headlights. And for, for some of you, 50 is, is just a little speck in your rearview mirror. But it's a reminder that, that our, our, our life is fleeting. That our life is like a vapor that it vanishes away. Those who belong to God, the, the fleeting nature of life is actually encouraging. It's encouraging when I, when I think that, 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 not even just the, from the fact that, that, that I'm a day closer to being with the Lord forever. Now don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not in a hurry to, to go. I've got, I've got things to do here until the Lord takes me home. But when I consider the, the fleeting nature of my life, it causes me to come to an end of myself. It causes me to, to focus on God who is eternal and immutable and ever faithful. It causes you to remember that he is faithful to you. Matthew 6, 27 says, and which of you by, why, by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? As we look to God who has our very lives in his hands, 
Our anxiety fades. It fades. So we think specifically about the men who are, who are listed here in this genealogy. Wonder, well, well, why are they here? Why are they here in this list? Why, why do they exist? We've seen, again, some of these names already in the genealogy of Shem from chapter 10, verse 21 to 31, with only those, those five generations, but here it's expanded to 10. But here we see a focus solely, again, on Shem's line, not on his brothers, not on Ham and Japheth. His brothers are absent from this genealogy. Now, there, is, there are others in the, the genealogy of, in the line of Shem and verses in chapter 10 that are absent here too. They're, they're absent because they are not of the line of promise. The focus of, of chapter 10 was, was on the nations broadly. But here it's focusing narrowly on this one line, this line of promise. Remember from Genesis 10, we, we saw Jock 10 and his 13 sons listed. But there's no sign of him here. In Genesis 11, Peleg there was, was skimmed over. Just saying for him, for in his days, the earth was divided, chapter 10, 25. But, but here, Peleg has a prominent place here in the line of promise, in the line of Abram. Now, of course, we, we know enough and we've seen enough already to know that, that the men in this genealogy in, in, in chapter, 10 verses, uh, chapter 11, verses 10 to 26, though they, they lead to Abraham, Abram, doesn't necessarily mean that they were all saved. Doesn't mean that they were necessarily all part of the seed of the covenant. Even Terah, Abram's own father, was a pagan. We'll learn more about this next week, but, but Terah is linked with, with Ur and, and Haran, two cities that, that are known for the worship of the moon god, Yerah. And Joshua 24.2 confirms that Terah was a pagan. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abram and Nahor, and they served other gods. But God is faithful to his people. He's not faithful to all people, but to his chosen people. And you can see this throughout Genesis. Seth, not Cain. Shem, not Ham. Isaac, not Ishmael, Jacob, not Esau. God is faithful to his people. Now, yes, there's a sense in, in God's common grace when it, in which he's, he's faithful to everyone. I understand that. I heard today about members uh, of the table, temple of Satan who placed a huge bronze pagan statue in front of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. You can't make this stuff up. It was in a protest of a monument of the Ten Commandments in Arkansas. But let's think about these, these Satan worshipers for a moment. These, these people who are, are, are really thumbing their nose at God. God is faithful even to provide for them. The next breath that these Satan worshipers take is a testimony of God's faithfulness. Not only has been, God been faithful to provide for them, to provide food and shelter and clothing and air, but he's also given to them and to all people his general revelation, his creation as a, as a testimony of who he is. 
But in this case, he's given them even more. He's revealed his commandments to them. God is faithful to provide even these Satan worshipers with the opportunity to repent. Unless they repent, they will experience God's faithfulness in another way. They're going to experience his faithfulness to punish sin eternally as they suffer with the one that they are worshiping in the lake of fire. But it's not just Satan worshipers who experience God's faithfulness to punish sin. It's all unbelievers, from the atheist to the Mormon to the Muslim to the self-righteous to the self-satisfied to the self-deceived to the church attenders to the unbelievers, even unbelievers who are sitting right here. God is faithful to you. He provides you with everything you need to survive. Food, clothing, shelter, the air you breathe. Just think for a moment about your next breath. It is a gift from God in his common grace. And so is the next one. And the next one after that. And the one after that. But one day, you will breathe your last breath. Maybe a lot sooner than you think. And you will leave this life to enter into his presence. God has given you his creation as a testimony of who he is. Of his existence. But he's given you so much more. He's given you an opportunity to hear the gospel week in, week out. You hear the gospel proclaimed in your home. You hear it proclaimed from this pulpit. You hear it in the songs we sing. You hear it in our prayers. You hear the gospel week in, week out. And you too have the opportunity to repent. God has provided you with a witness. And if you do not repent, you will experience his faithfulness to punish sin. But God is faithful to his people in a very special way. God delivers his people. And that deliverance comes through the seed of Abraham. Let's think for a moment about, about Abram before he was Abraham. But before his call, it, it, wasn't just, it wasn't just Terah who was living as a pagan. Abram was living as a pagan in Ur of the Chaldeans, a, a stone's throw from the Tower of Babel. And even after his call, he lived in Haran, a, a pagan city. It wasn't just Abram's father who was a pagan, it was Abram. Let's look at, at Joshua 24.2 again. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abram and of Nahor, and they served other gods. They, plural, served other gods. But look at verse three. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. That's the Euphrates, into the land of Canaan. For Abram, as, as we're going to see next week, being called out of his father's house means being called far more than, than just being called to leave home. It means leaving idolatry. 
God singled him out. God chose him by his sovereign grace. God had favor on Abram when he was still a pagan, much like he had had favor on Noah. How did Abram receive the blessing? By faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, Romans 4.3. Again, next we're going to focus more on this, but, but in Hebrews 11, we, we see the testimony of Abraham's faith. And friends, that faith comes as a gift, as a gift from the God who is faithful to his people. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Romans 11.5, if you are here as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are here by the grace of God. God has sovereignly chosen you according to his purposes by his election for your salvation, for his glory. If you were here as a Christian this morning, God has had favor on you like he did on Noah. He's had favor on you like he did on Abraham. He called you while you were still an idolater. Now you might not have bowed down to a pagan statue, but you were no less a pagan. You worshiped the gods of your own making, whether in a false religion or whether in worship of self. And God called you by his grace. Now, there's many places in the scriptures that we could go to, to discuss this, but, but just quickly, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, or by nature the children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in his mercy, because of the great love with which he's loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. If you're here as a Christian this morning, you are saved entirely by God's grace. It is not by your own works. You could do nothing to earn your salvation. It is by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. Now, of course, this genealogy that we see here was, was, was given to a people long after God's covenant with, with Abraham. It was, was given to the people of Israel about 700 years later. But to ex the extent that the people of Israel looked back to, to Abraham, they were mistaken. We see this too in Jesus' days. The, the Pharisees looked back to their, their, back to their, their genealogy through Abraham. They were looking in the, in the wrong direction. They should have been looking ahead. They should have been looking to Christ. And for us who, who are here, living as we do after the, the, the events of, of the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, we have the, we're, we're kind of looking, we are looking backwards, rightly so. We're looking backwards to, to Christ. We're also looking ahead to his return. So, so we look backwards and we look forwards. 
If we fail to do both, we're neglecting the biblical testimony. But I believe that, that sometimes this, this leads to this, this kind of myopia, this, 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 our focus, a wrong focus that causes us to, to neither look back nor ahead. And if you're anything like me, you, you get caught up in the moment. You, you get caught up in, in just the here and now, in this moment, as though, as though this were, is all there is. But these promises of God are, are, are meant to keep us, again, looking backwards to what Christ has accomplished for us, but looking ahead to what he will accomplish, looking, looking ahead to his return and to, to what waits for us. And then this is gonna transform the way we live our day-by-day moments as we have a right and, and biblical understanding of, of our lives. And so finally, this passage shows us that God is faithful to all peoples. Again, in a, in a saving sense, God is not faithful to all people, but to all peoples, to all nations, to, to the, the peoples of the earth. This blessing that is on, on Abram is not for himself alone. Now again, we're gonna spend more time on this next week, but, but from Genesis 12, two and three, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God blesses Abraham so that he will be a blessing. And then he says, I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse for in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So in Abraham, all the families of the earth, not just the Jews, but again, it's, it's, it's the peoples. God's got his eye again on the nations, on all of the families of the earth, and that includes us. We, we are recipients of the blessing that God has given to Abraham. Genesis 17.5, God changes Abram's name to Abraham, saying, your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. A multitude of nations. God would make Abram, then Abraham, a blessing. He would make Abraham's blessing a blessing to the nations. And Israel was not meant to keep this blessing to themselves. They were not meant to keep to themselves, but they did. They, they were insular, they were isolated, they forgot the charge of Isaiah 42, five to seven. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives life to the people on it, his spirit to those who walk on it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Israel did not obey the calling, but someone did for them. Jesus Christ fulfilled this. He was the light for the people. He is the light for the nations. He is the covenant for the people. And so as those who are are in the covenant, who are under the new covenant of Christ's blood, we now have the the privilege and the responsibility of, of becoming now a light for the nations. Fellow Christian, look to the promises that that God has given you. 
He has given you a new name. He has called you by the name of your son. The, the name that you have received in Christ is, is far more important than your first name, your middle name, your last name. You are called Christian. That is your identity. That is your identity immeasurably greater than, 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 than your earthly name. That's not the only promise that he's given you. He has, has given you eternal life. He has promised you eternal life in fellowship with him. And you can see those promises far better than, than anyone in ancient Israel could see them because of, of when we live in human history. But I wonder, are you like Israel, looking inwards instead of looking outwards. Now, now again, you need to be thankful. You should be thankful for all that you've received in Christ, for these blessings and God's faithfulness. But are you keeping those blessings for yourself? How many people have you shared the gospel with in the last week, or the last month, or the last year? Now, I'm not saying this in, in order to, to, to guilt you into sharing the gospel, but to help you to understand the great privilege you have of being a blessing, of shining the light of Christ to, to a dark world, to a world that is getting darker by the minute. And, and to, to, to call you, to, to remind you the fact that you can have confidence because God is faithful to you and because God is faithful to all peoples, that when you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can share the gospel with confidence, trusting that his Holy Spirit will work in the hearts of his people. You so broadly, and the Spirit will bring to life those words that you share. You can be confident that some people will repent and come to saving faith. You might not see it. You might never know in this life the people who come to faith through your testimony, but you can have a holy confidence because of, of God's faithfulness to you and of his, faithful, his faithfulness to all peoples that he will save some. So as you go out this week, as you, as you go out these doors and as you, you go home and as you, you spend your time in the workplace, in your neighborhood, in, in the, the stores and play, the various things that, 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 you, that you do in the course of the week, think about the people that are around you. And, and think about God's faithfulness to you. And that maybe through, through God's faithfulness to you that, that you will be faithful and share the gospel with some and that, that they may become trophies of his grace for his glory. Friends, we can be confident that God is faithful. He will keep his promises. You can't keep your promises. I can't keep my promises. But God always keeps his promises. Let's pray to the faithful God. Heavenly Father, as we call out to you as your elect sons and daughters, Lord, we confess our failures. Lord, our failures to, to love you, our failures to love the lost. Lord, we, we confess that, that we are weak and sinful. 
Yet, Lord, we praise you that your faithfulness is immeasurably greater than our sinfulness. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ who was perfectly faithful, who, who loved you with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength and, and who loved his neighbor as himself. Lord, we thank you for his obedience to your holy commandments and Lord, we thank you that for those who believe that, that, you, that his obedience is credited to our account and that our failures, our sins were born by him on that cross as he suffered in our place. Lord God, we thank you that you are faithful to him by raising him from the grave, for we know that death could not hold him, vindicating him, demonstrating that he truly is the eternal God the Son. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be faithful. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we look to your faithfulness. Lord, that we would be transformed through the power of your spirit. And Lord, that we'll walk in confidence, that we'll walk in hope, that we'll walk in obedience. Lord, that we'll walk in love for you and love for others. Lord, that we would truly, through your light shining in and through us, that we would become a light for the nations. That your glory might be spread through all the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.